You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. From inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Mike Chappell, Joe Hopkins. I'm Dave Griffiths. Good show on tap for you today as we continue through the month of May, breaking down the Colts 2021 schedule released on Wednesday night. Of course, will be a big chunk of what we have to talk about today, but also the Colts have their left tackle, at least for 2021, perhaps not beyond, but a one-year deal for a two-time pro bowler in Eric Fisher. And since we've been talking about the left tackle position for the past month, two months, whatever it is leading up to the draft, certainly that will be a big topic of discussion for us today we'll also take a look at the draft classes from Indy's AFC South rivals who the Titans the Texans and Jaguars bring in and first as always we start with the news around the league and news first here locally starting with the Colts kicking the stigma campaign raising over four and a half million dollars for mental health initiatives this is something that uh, is near and dear to owner Jim Ursay's heart. Uh, his daughter, Kaylin Jackson, was a big part of uh, this specific outreach as well. Uh, Mike, this is something that the Colts have decided they're going to throw their weight behind, and, uh, and Jim Ursay is certainly chief among them in this, uh, in this push. Yeah, he's done so much in, in front, you know, publicly and behind the scenes. But th- this, is diff- this is a different level. This is where he, he took it national, and this is something that's very important to the family and kudos to him and what people need to realize this isn't a one-time thing this is going to be an ongoing uh uh endeavor and and good for him because again like he said uh mental health is something that people first don't talk about and sometimes don't seek help about so this is all about awareness and treatment and just kind of bringing it to 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 the uh, to the national scene Good for him. Joe, it's been, yeah, I think it's been encouraging to see a, a couple of the Colts kind of step in with this too. And uh, Darius Leonard, I think chief among them, kind of sharing his own story with his own uh, mental struggles there. So, I mean, uh, like like Mike said, being in football, you can have this tough guy persona and maybe you're encouraged in a young age to uh, to, to keep your emotions in check. And, uh, or if something's not, uh, if your arm isn't physically hanging off of your body and bleeding, then to go back in the game, you know, rub some dirt on it. But it, that's a um, it, it's a it's a mindset that the Colts are obviously hoping to to to, to do something about and uh, and at lo- like we've said, Jim Irsay is uh, is really taking charge with this. Exactly, as Darius keeps saying, it's okay to not be okay. We all got our issues, and you know, if if you're smart, you'll do what you can to help fix them. And so, I think this is a great campaign to kind of help erase that stigma um i saw i think they raised over two million and then jim ursay matched it so that's um two more million of his own money and you know i just hope this and i'm sure it will go a long way in uh helping a lot of people and can't wait to see what they do next year as well uh, some sad news from the colts this week is that um uh, sixth round pick sam ellinger uh was not at rookie minicamp because uh, his brother uh, and linebacker at the University of Texas, Jake Ellinger, uh, was found dead last week. And no cause of death has been released, but the police also say his death is not considered suspicious either. So cer- certainly in a complete tragedy in the life of the Ellinger family. Um, and all, all of our thoughts and prayers here certainly go out to him, his family, his friends in this, in this time. So 
Um, you, you think from the football side, gosh, you would have liked to have him at minicamp, but obviously, Mike, the, the football side of things goes way to the back burner when something as serious as this is, is, is on tap. Yeah, we always talk about perspective, which we don't need perspective when it comes to this, but I reached out last week to the uh, coach at uh, Westlake High School in Austin because Ellinger and, and Kylan Granson went to the same school. And it's just rare that two players, two high school teammates go to the same pro team. He finally called me back yesterday, and uh, he said they just left the uh, funeral services for Jake. Uh, people need to realize that the Ellingers are a huge, huge part of that high school, and it hit everybody pretty hard. So our thoughts and wishes are to Sam, and hope, you know we'll, we'll certainly see him in training camp, and, and just the best wishes and condolences to the family. The Colts did hold their rookie main camp over the weekend and also had several draft picks signed. They have signed first-round pick Quiddy Pay. If I'm not mistaken, he was the first first-round pick to sign, actually, among the entire class. But uh, you get picked 21st overall, a deal that's uh, in the range of $13.6 million over four years with a possible fifth year as well, team option. And a, uh, of that, uh, $7 million is a signing bonus. Um, also signed Dio Dangbo, Sean Davis, Mike Strawn, uh, and Will Fries. All of them uh, getting some, uh, some hefty checks in the, in the near future. Um, as Jim Irsay said, as we saw on the, uh, the Colts, uh, they're with the next pick uh, series they do every year. When, when he got on the phone with Dio, he just uh, brings up, I'm going to make you a millionaire. And very happy. <laughs> yeah, so it was a great line from Jim. And, uh, and obviously, uh, congrats to all these uh, young men who have, uh, who have a slightly larger bank account today than they, did, uh, than they did last week. Also signed five undrafted rookies. Um, let's see here. Texas wide receiver Tariq Black. Liberty linebacker Anthony Butler, Duke running back Deion Jackson, um, BYU linebacker Isaiah Kaufusi, and USC wide receiver Tyler Vaughns. Uh, from all those, we, we got to speak to, to Tyler Vaughns, to Deion Jackson, and, and Mike, I believe it's a 22-year streak now that the Colts have going with, a, um, with an undrafted rookie making either out of camp or the, or, or the week one roster, um, so that's... Uh, that that's a obviously a, a selling point for anyone who who's come to the Colts. That hey, if you come here, they're certainly going to give you a look. But uh, the further we get into Chris Ballard's tenure, also uh, the more difficult that seems to be to crack the fifty-three. Yeah, Deion Jackson mentioned that was sort of a a, a recruiting point, a bullet point that says they said, you know, you come here and if you earn a spot, you will you you will make the roster. And they used the twenty-two year streak as an example. And th- there's something to that because Deion Jackson's coming into a running back's room that there's no room. There's simply no room with the four, four players ahead of him. And Tyler Vaughn's is coming to a, a receiver room that, you know, it's going to be real tough to crack the top six. So these guys are coming here, and, it, it's, and, and keep in mind, they pick this team. You know, the, these, the, the one thing about undrafted free agents is at some point it, it's better, it really is better to not get drafted. Now you're losing, you know. I think the signing bonus for Fries was eighty-five thousand, and Tyler Vaughn's, I believe, as an undrafted guy, got a, a pretty hefty check at like twenty-two thousand as a signing bonus. But it, it's these guys are going in, in difficult spots. But but if if they make an, a, an impression, they will make the roster. If nothing else, there's always spots on the practice squad to develop. You look at. 
um, the wide receiver room in particular because we saw a couple wide receivers on that list. And I mean, Joe, you, you go in, you figure T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell, Zach Pascal are all locked. So that's four guys. And Chris Ballard has always carried either five or six wide receivers. The last two years, he's carried six wide receivers into week one. So, I mean, so it's a competition for, for two spots there. Ashton Doolin has been a big special teams guy. You think he'd probably get one of them. And after that, I mean, you got Demichael Harris, you got Desmond Patman, who's on practice squad all last year, Mike Strawn, you just drafted, and then the uh, the rookie. So, I mean, as we said, the opportunity's there for you, for sure, but um, the, the the more depth that Chris Ballard builds over these years, just the more difficult it is for, a, uh, for an undrafted rookie to make the roster. But your boy, Hot Rod, did so last year, so who knows? Maybe somebody will surprise in camp this year. Maybe I don't. I don't get that same hot rod feeling as I do with any of these guys. <laughs> right. Um, m- maybe maybe one of the linebackers, uh, Kafusi. I think Anthony Butler has since been waived by the Colts, but just because of the position, you know, Anthony Walker moves on. Maybe there's a more of an opportunity with the linebacker group than with the running backs and wide receivers, as you've already stated how deep they are already. Um, so it, maybe Kafusi could make it and keep the streak going. I think that's probably where I would look too, uh, just because I mean you have Anthony Walker who's gone from last year, so that's a spot that that obviously they're looking to fill. Uh, they did sign um, uh, Jefferson, the kid who went to um, Texas and has been in the league yeah, for Malik a couple Jefferson. years. Yeah, it's his name, Malik Jefferson. Thank you, Joe. Um, and uh, so I, so that I mean he'll probably be the favorite for the spot, but uh, but nevertheless, that's uh, that's a, a spot to watch out for. I think if you're looking for undrafted free agents as linebacker uh, for this year. So um, we move on now to uh, the Colts signings from this past week and a big one for sure. We've said all offseason that everyone on the show agrees that left tackle is probably the most important position that needed to be filled through early free agency. The Colts added a few guys and Sam Tevy and Julian Davenport and then talked him up as if uh, nothing was ever wrong. But I think we all suspected that something was on the horizon in the future and the future became reality just this week as the Colts signed left tackle Eric Fisher reported one year $9.4 million contract. 30 years old, tore his Achilles tendon in late January so, Mike, he won't be available for the start of the season. But, uh, and being an only a one year deal, this is a uh, see if Eric Fisher can come back healthy. And then, uh, if he returns to his Pro Bowl form, uh, then that, I guess, leaves the future to be determined. This is a one year deal. He is your guy for this season. Yeah, I'm not worried about the 30, year old, 30 years old. That's, I mean, he, he, he's just on the, the wrong side of his prime, but he's still got. Tons of playing time. It's the Achilles injury, obviously. Well, it's going to be really interesting, and and I'm not going to be. I'm not saying they're going to be treated differently, but the expectations are different. With with Dio, he tore his Achilles in late January, and they've taken the approach. You know, we're going to let the kid, you know, progress as he needs to, and not push it, and he'll be ready when he's ready. Well, that's fine. But now you've got Eric Fisher, who tore his Achilles in late January, and he, he needs to be your starting left tackle sooner rather than later. Now, again, you cannot, you cannot, and they won't accelerate the rehab. It is what it is. But internally, the expectations, or maybe the hopes is, is, is the better word, is that Fisher 
is ready before the rookie is. Uh, it, we'll get into it briefly, it, it shortly, but the first part of the schedule doesn't give you much time to sort of ease into the into the season. So uh, they're they're going to really hope, fingers crossed, and all that that Fisher's ready. Late September, I think it's kind of crazy to think he'd be ready for the opener. But I, I just wonder how much early on in, in the off season they said, you know, hey, if we get if we get a guy in the in the draft, fine. But Eric Fisher's there, so uh, th- this is going to be really interesting to watch unfold. Yeah, the, the late September is a time t- timeline that I've seen from a couple of different places, uh, notably uh, here in Indy from the Athletic Zach Kiefer. Uh, saying that Fisher's in a good spot uh, with his rehab. Uh, as we talked about last week, though, like really the the timetable for an Achilles return that I've seen, again, is like nine months at the earliest, and nine months would be late October. So uh, you think maybe this Achilles surgery wasn't quite as invasive as others uh, in that light? So uh, so that's could be comforting if indeed these reports are accurate and uh, Joe, it, it's notable that the uh, the Chiefs general manager said in March that he hoped Fisher would be ready to go by mid-August. And that that would be just a a flying through uh, the rehab, really, from from a quote-unquote torn Achilles. Uh, exactly how much, how torn it is, uh, if um, if you have to get to that. But uh, the, the everybody keeps pushing these earlier timelines. And I, although it can be encouraging for some sense, thinking maybe the injury isn't that bad, it also makes me a little bit nervous because it's still a torn Achilles that they're really trying to, I don't know if trying to get back sooner rather than later. Well, I guess that is accurate, but um, you just, like Mike said, you really can't push these things. I don't know. It just, make, it just makes me a little nervous to see everybody pushing a, a slightly faster timeline than you're used to seeing with Achilles injuries. That's just me. Yeah, and I mean, that might be kind of similar to a, uh... Chris Ballard pushing that Sam Tevy was a good starting option uh, back when it's they possible. signed him. You know, maybe they're just trying to talk up their signing a little bit because th- that would be the quickest Achilles rehab that I can remember seeing. Um, and then, so I, I hope the Colts and Colts fans are mentally prepared for the more of a October, late October timeline. But if he gets back in September, that'd be great. And the Colts obviously must feel good about his medicals because they paid him Nine point four million, um, which is a lot more than a guy like uh, Villanueva made. I think he made fourteen million over the course of two years. It's a lot more than a guy Charles Leno made. Another left tackle option for the Colts. He signed Tuesday on a one-year, five million dollar deal with Washington. So they paid more. And I understand when healthy, Eric Fisher is better than both of those players. But they paid significantly more money for a player coming off an Achilles. So they must feel either they're really good about the Achilles or that by the time he comes back, he'll be so much better than those other options that the weight is worth it. Well, and one, I think you hit the nail on the head. Go ahead, Mike. One thing I'd, I'll, I'll add to that is I think they're, they're playing the long game here it, it, during the season is they're banking on the roster and Frank Reich being good enough to compensate at left tackle, and and when when Fisher returns in late October, in November, whatever, that they will be making a strong push for something. So again, th- th- I, th- this wasn't an investment to say we're going to have him ready to go right away. It's going to be kind of wait and see, but when he's back, we'll be ready to really hit the next gear. That's the only way to look at this. 
you just hope that you could make it to that second gear. Uh, I mean, because as I've said before, if you don't have a left tackle, you don't have an offensive line. It doesn't matter who's along that side with you. You're you're going to get blown up over there. Quarterback's going to get hit from the backside. And, and I mean, that can be it. And with a guy like Carson Wentz, who is last couple of years has had a suspect offensive line has been hit more often than not. It seems like, and got injured more often than not. That that's, that's a prime concern. So like Eric Fisher, this signing is absolutely a risk that you, you can get to him and that you can get to a spot where um, you can be chasing something. So, I mean, to me, this is, like I said, it, it seems like a really risky move that could pay off great, because you you look at the starting line with Fisher in there, it goes Fisher, Nelson, Kelly, Glowinski, Braden Smith. I mean, that's a heck of an offensive line. That's a top three offensive line in the NFL, undoubtedly. And the problem is when you don't have the left tackle, like I said, the offensive line really struggles. So um, to, to give Fisher $9.4 million, maybe there were other suitors involved that the price drove up a little bit. I don't know. Maybe that was exactly what Chris Ballard thought that he was worth. Now, we got to remember also Chris Ballard was on the Chiefs staff when they drafted Eric Fisher, number one overall, back in 2013. So he has a good history. He knows Fisher uh, as well as anyone outside of the Chiefs organization now in the NFL. So he, he certainly has reasons and good ones, very good ones, for signing Eric Fisher. But that doesn't mean it's a move that's without risk. So you're, you're hoping to see... The Colts make it through a difficult early part of their schedule, which we'll get to shortly, and have Fisher uh, healthy at that time and ready to make a push. And also, you got to think during the season as well, guys, that you have the extra game, too, this year. You're going to a 17-game regular season. So you just extend the regular season by one week. That also gives you more time to come back, possibly, from uh, any early season disappointments if you can find your stride later which certainly you would think the Colts would find their stride be better when Fisher returns if indeed they can get to that point where Fisher returns they can be healthy and all that one, so. one, one thing to one thing to build on Dave what you talked about I wrote about it early in the week about the risk of Eric Fisher we, we've talked about how there were four or five glaring needs concerns whatever you want to talk about heading into the offseason and I wrote about every one of them is is you can you can put positive spin or negative spin on it. Every one of them, uh, Carson Wentz, he either works or he doesn't. I mean, it's, it's kind of that's where they are with a lot of these. Eric Fisher, it, it works or it doesn't. Uh, you, you draft your, your what you hope to be your your pass rush catalyst in in round one, but you don't know. And and you you bring back T. Y. Hilton at what is he thirty thirty one whatever it is thirty one thirty two. And you hope he can recapture what he had, but you don't know. Probably less risk on on Xavier Rhodes and T.J. Carey and all that. But like three of your top decisions, you could argue if you're in college and you're on the debate team, you could argue each side pretty strongly that it's a good move or a bad move. And they, it, it can't be like where you hit one out of three. You, you've got to really, you've got to hit the quarterback, you've got to hit the left tackle, and you've got to hit your pass rusher. So. I'll give them credit for putting their neck out there. They, they've made bold moves, and we'll see if they pan out. Yeah, you look at what teams can do in the offseason, and often that's I think that is the case, that there are a lot of questions. 
But there are certainly also times where, like, you look at last year, Joe, where the Colts went out and traded for DeForest Buckner. I mean, that's that's a not not no question. You know, you trade your first round pick for a guy who's been uh, a Pro Bowl, second team All Pro uh, before last year uh, type player, and there 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 you make the move and and you wash your hands and you're done with it. You don't second guess it at all. But but as Mike said, with the moves the Colts have made this offseason, there's certainly certainly room for debate on whether they will work or not. Obviously, the debate last year was, will Phillip Rivers work? And he certainly did. He was better than a lot of people thought he would be. He was absolutely better than his last year with the Chargers. So uh, you you look at those three main main positions again this year, and quarterback, left tackle, and pass rush. And as Mike said, there there's certainly anything but like the DeForest Buckner situation was last year when you feel completely confident that the move is going to work out. Yeah, I think when you have so many holes, I mean, the Colts had to fill, including, you know, re-signing their own free agents. As you mentioned, quarterback, pass rusher, and left tackle already, but also wide receiver, cornerback. I, I mean, and those are, if you're going to name the five most important positions, those would probably be them. So the Colts were basically playing whack-a-mole all offseason, just trying to fill the holes that kept cropping up. Uh, you, you know, if it's one thing to be aggressive and to go out and make a move to try and get better, but when you're making moves just to try and keep filling the holes that keep coming up, it's a little harder to, to make that big swing after an all-pro or to sign that sure thing. So we'll have to come back to Eric Fisher when the uh, well, situation calls for it. I want to I gotta ask you guys one more thing about his contract. I mean, is there a scenario in which you imagine Eric Fisher being with the Colts long-term? Uh, I know it's a one-year deal. We've talked about the money, the money, but if Eric Fisher comes in and he plays great football at left tackle, and at the end of the year you're deciding between signing your left tackle and Eric Fisher or your right tackle and Braden Smith, do you think that would be a tough choice for Chris Ballard, or do you think he'll go with the young guy that he drafted and try and find a new left tackle? How do you guys think that works out? I think first I'll, I'll say my piece quickly and get get to Mike. I really do think that they're going to try to sign Braden Smith this offseason um, as opposed to next offseason. So I, I don't think it's going to be an either-or in that sense. Um, I, I think the either-or would crop up elsewhere. I, I can't exactly tell you where without looking a little bit further uh, at at the death chart and at, at contract situations. But um, in terms of Fisher's long-term tenure with the franchise, just getting him in the building makes it more likely that they would sign him long-term because Ballard always talks about re-signing your own guys. So if you get him in the building for one year, he immediately kind of becomes your guy. But still, as as we've talked about before and as Mike talked about before, and I'm sure he'll bring up again, uh, that it, it just it would be really difficult, I think, Mike, to, to pour that much money into your offensive line when there are so many other parts uh, of making a football team. Yeah, I agree with you. Where the Braden is not either or with Braden Smith because Braden will be done. His his extension will be done. I, I it, to me again, it goes back to what we've just talked about and talked about is how can if Eric Fisher is everything you hope he is, he comes back and he's he he's a top ten left tackle and and he really solves your problem. You're going to give him eighteen million dollars a year next year. I mean, I I don't see how it works. I just don't because again, Quentin Nelson's going to get eighteen to twenty, Ryan. Kelly's the third highest paid center. I, I just don't know how it works. So I, that's why a lot of us were so hoping from a team standpoint that they found their left tackle in the draft. And then, then the money's not an issue. I just don't see how they make that work financially because you do have to have balance 
in your roster and in positions, and to have five highly paid offensive linemen. I'll say four taking Glowinski out of the mix, but it'll be great to have happen. I don't see how they make it work. Yeah, I, I agree, though. The, based on the Colts' history, it's likely that they do try and re-sign Braden Smith over the summer. But when you look at it from the perspective of what's it easier to find, a left tackle or a right tackle, um, and then from the perspective also, Braden Smith is going to cost close to $18 million. He's not going to be cheap, maybe fifteen. Um, so I get it's not an either-or situation, but I'm sure it's something that's going through the team's head. Sure is. Uh, undoubtedly so. Um, let's turn our attention quickly to the other side of the ball, the defense. The Colts signed defensive tackle Antoine Woods to a one-year contract, 28 years old. Uh, he started 32 of his 39 games over the past three seasons in Dallas, uh, made 80 tackles during that time, so about two tackles per game, uh, four tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. Certainly not a big playmaker in the middle, but uh, th- this goes to a, a point I made a short time ago, Mike, where if you have a 17-game season, um, you- you're going to need depth on the offensive and the defensive lines. This is just another example of Chris Ballard trying to bring someone in, shore that up, because you figure going into a longer season, you're going to need a uh, more fortified trench area, and uh, that, that's what Woods is designed to do here. Yeah, when they signed him, I, I put out a list on Twitter of uh, of the defensive line players. There's like 15, <laughs> and, and, and a lot of them are players. I mean, I mean it's going to so they they stress competition, and that's what they've got. You know, barring injury, they've got they're going to cut some some players who are pretty good. I'm not saying they're going to go and automatically go and start somewhere else. But the one thing you want to have are difficult decisions. Not, you know, in late August or whatever, saying, yeah, we can cut this guy. We don't care. Th- these will be difficult cuts, and that's what you want. And they, they always, always, always want to have strength up front, offense and defense, and this adds to that. The Colts' 2021 schedule is out as we record this on Thursday morning. It's been about 12 hours, 13 hours since the release, and – uh, as things started to trickle out of the woodwork yesterday, uh, we got pieces and ideas of what was happening. We saw a Christmas Day game, which that's exciting. We'll get to that for sure. Uh, the first thing uh, I think we learned that was official from the NFL came with the season opener. Week one schedule got got released first. And uh, then we learned that the Colts will host the Seattle Seahawks, a 1 p.m. kickoff broadcast in central Indiana here on Fox 59 on Sunday, September 12th. Um, the Colts' struggles, Mike, early in the season are no secret. They have not won their season opener for the past seven years. And you look out of the gates to face Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, even though it's at home, which, hey, you you can't complain about that. That's going to be a really stiff challenge coming right out of the gates. You get your first two at home with the Rams coming in, which I think the last time that happened was in 13 as well. Uh, but, boy, then you hit that three-game road strip with Tennessee, Miami, and Baltimore. And Joe mentioned here, that's uh, those five teams are 50, were 54-26 and 26 in, in last year. And sometimes records don't give you a, a good indication because teams get better and teams get worse. And some team you thought was going to be pre- pretty good ends up being trash. But there's no indication that any of these three teams have backed up at all. You could argue that all of them have gotten better. Seattle, we don't know. But the Rams have gotten better at quarterback. Tennessee is sound, and Miami and Baltimore are loaded. So this is one where, for a team with so many the Colts 
talking about have, have so many issues as far as getting ready for the season. New quarterback, rookie pass rusher, left tackle, we don't know. Th- this schedule does not afford you the easing in period. And uh, they're going to need to make K early, and it's going to be they're going to have to be playing pretty good football early on to do that. Yeah, Mike, uh, Joe, you look at uh, just I, I saw a stat that somebody either tweeted out or I was watching uh, a show last night and saw it that the Colts actually have something like the the ninth or the tenth easiest schedule in the NFL this season, but. As Mike said, looking at those first five games, you certainly wouldn't know it from that. It's basically averaging an 11-5 and opponent every week. I mean, it's it's a brutal start to the season, especially with a three-game road trip mixed in there. Yeah, I mean, you go, you go through the schedule, and aside from Houston and Jacksonville, and we'll see how much better Jacksonville got this offseason. There's a lot of young talent that we're not quite sure of yet, but... I don't really see that many easy games on the schedule. I mean, the Jets maybe, but they got better. Um, San Francisco was riddled with injuries last year. They'll be a playoff contender this year. And then teams like Arizona uh, will contend for the playoffs as well. So uh, I get last year, based on last year's records, this schedule might look the ninth easiest. But I, I look at these opponents and they all look pretty challenging to me, except for maybe three or four. Well, one thing to keep in, one thing to keep in mind on the strength of schedule, and, and how it's so deceptive, it, yeah. is it's it's so thrown out of balance by the Jets, Jacksonville, and Houston. Yes, th- three awful teams, and take those three teams away in in five games away, and the other games, like you said, it's it's just gonna you're you're not gonna have that. Well, if we go out there and play our B game, we'll be okay. This is going to take pretty good football. And, again, Jacksonville, we've talked about how, I don't care how how good or how bad they are, they're just a tough out for the Colts. So I, it's really going to be interesting to see how this plays out because, again, you could argue take Houston out of it because they're such a hot mess right now. Every one of these teams has made major strides in the offseason. Tennessee will see. So I, I think it's really interesting. And, and one thing on the schedule before we go on, is there any more of an overhyped event than, <laughs> than, than this? I mean, we all watched it and we all pay attention to all that, but holy smokes, the way the NFL had, has turned a schedule release into an event is totally amazing. And kudos to their marketing department. For real. For real. Joe, before we move on, well, not not really moving on, but uh, the, the next thing I wanted to ask you is I saw the uh, the DraftKings line came out, Colts favored by two points in their home opener against Seattle. What do you think about that line? Two, two and a half even. <sighs> it's tough just because the Colts are the team with the new quarterback, so they have yeah, the biggest question thinking. mark. I mean, Seattle was 12-4 and four last year. They were a good football team. Right? They did lose some talent. They lost their top cornerback in uh, Griffin. But I still think they're going to be a solid team. Uh, uh, it's tough. I mean, the Colts are at home. The Colts are a talented team as well. I think a lot of it will come down to that last t- tackle. I, I, I kind of look at these first five games. I'm like, okay, who are the pass rushers that could potentially exploit Sam Tevy? And to be completely honest, with these five teams, there's no elite or high-end pass rusher on them. Uh, Seattle's best pass rusher is the aging Carlos Dunlap. 
Uh, I guess Leonard Floyd from the Rams is a pretty good pass rusher, but I would by no means call him elite. Uh, Tennessee got Bud Dupree coming off an ACL. He's their best pass rusher. Maybe Harold Landry, but none of them scare me that much. Uh, Miami got the rookie Jalen Phillips, and then Baltimore maybe Fernell McPhee, or they did have the first-round pick who couldn't get a sack last year in the Big Ten. So I guess Owie. from that, I guess from that perspective, although I do think he will be a good pro. Um, uh, from that perspective, it, it's not that bad of a start from the Colts in terms of trying to hide uh, their left tackle until Fisher can come back healthy, but. It's going to be challenging, nonetheless. I think if the Colts can come out three and two, that will be pretty darn good. So you're happy they're not playing Arizona until Christmas Day with a JJ uh, Watt and Chandler Jones uh, running around the outside, right? It, it, exactly, Arizona or San Francisco <laughs> with a Bosa coming after you, Tampa uh, ta- Bay, Tampa Bay, yep. exactly. Yeah. So uh, Chandler Jones of Syracuse University, by the way, <laughs> just throwing that out there before we uh, before we move on. But um, Mike. What on earth do the Colts have to do to get a Sunday or a Monday night game at Lucas Oil Stadium? I don't know. I, I kind of think Jim Irsay's done about all he can do legally. Uh, I mean, he, he's <laughs> he's pleaded, he's he's talked, he's 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 cajoled, and they get one home game out of four out of four prime times. And if I'm not mistaken, when they play the Jets on the and it's a Thursday night game for crying out right. loud. It, I mean, everybody right. everybody gets those. They will have played eight straight primetime games on the road. That's ridiculous. I mean, it, it's it's it. I don't know. It, some, sometimes availability, of the stadium certainly enters into it and all that kind of stuff. But this is beyond that. This is. I don't. I don't want to start getting paranoid and all this, but it makes you think that they've got some axe to grind with with Indy. I don't know, but Jim, <laughs> it's a conspiracy. Jim Irsay is fed up with it. <laughs> Bill Gates is behind it. No. He is. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the, hey, if if you win this year, maybe you get more next year. But then again, just look at recent history, and maybe you don't. Just uh, stick it to the man and uh, and see what happens. Um, We've got nice hotels here, t- don't we? Don't don't we have nice yeah, hotels? Right? It's a nice downtown. I walk around and host the It's a nice Super airport. Bowl here. And I don't get Crying it. Crying out loud, I don't know. I do not know. Um, the, the additional game, the 17th game that the Colts do get this year was added was uh, the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the reigning Super Bowl champions. That, of course, means Tom Brady will be here. Hang on. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that, Bless guys. Bless you. Uh, hello. Thank you. Um, that Tom Brady will be here in Indianapolis on Sunday, November 28th. So circle that on your calendar. Uh, the Sunday, I believe, after Thanksgiving that uh, the Super Bowl champs will be here. Uh, Tom Brady's 15-4 and four in his career against the Colts. He's won eight straight. But, uh, Joe, that's something that I'm sure Colts fans will circle on their calendar to see uh, to see Brady here and see if this version of the Colts can, can snap that little skid. Oh, yeah. Patriots uniform or not, the Colts fans will be hollering loud to sack Tom Brady, and I'm sure uh, Robert Mathis and the rest will be cheering on that as well. Uh, it's... That, that's a game I'm looking forward to. I can't wait. I, I hope uh, Quiddy Pay puts Brady on the ground three times. I believe, you know, <laughs> I went back and looked, and Brady's only lost here twice in Indy. And they were two of the more memorable games people are, are, can think about. It was the fourth and two game. Remember Belichick, the fourth and two game? Yeah. Whatever year it was, was it 09? I can't remember what year it was. And then the ASC title game. So I guess the Colts kind of pick and choose when they want to beat Brady. And if those are the only two, 
I can live with that. Also, uh, Mike, no buy until December 12th this year. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 games before your bye week. And you add three preseason games before that. I mean, they're, they're going you, you'd think they're just going to be limping into the bye. This is as late as it can go. So you get that unfortunate uh, draw of being the latest bye that you can possibly get in week 14. That's a long time to play in the NFL without a break. And I guess I'd take the other side if you want to, and that is if you have injuries, it's going to give you a chance to heal. Uh, although it's, it's just a week, and if it's a serious injury, it's not going to really do that much for it. But, it. but it will give you that chance to sort of catch your breath. But I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're virtually – well, you're playing 13 games with no break. Uh, so, so injuries will play into it. And, that's again, that's why they're, they're so uh, adamant about getting – Depth on the defensive line, depth on the offensive line, uh, to, to to be able to compensate for that. But boy, December twelfth by that that's it, it's it's it, I think that's the last week they 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 gave buys, and yet it's going to help you those last four games, and it's really going to stress your medical staff and the players o- over the first thirteen weeks. Yeah, Which, you, by yeah, the way, ahead, fellas, Joe. if I could jump in here. If you're going to pick one area from the Colts that you would say is most improved this offseason, wouldn't be the depth on the offensive and defensive lines. That, that'd be what I have to point out. Everywhere else, it looks like they stayed near neutral. Yeah, probably so. I think they really did put a lot of resources in free agency to bring guys in in those areas. Like I mentioned earlier, just because Ballard knows with, uh, with 17 games that things are probably there's just more chance that something's going to happen. And then, of course, you look at the schedule. I think that just further solidifies that that strategy that, hey, you're going to have to go 13 weeks without a real buy. So, or 14 weeks. Yeah. So, uh, you, you do get kind of a mini buy between weeks, uh, what is it, 9 and 10. Um, so, like week 8, you, you face Tennessee on Halloween. Halloween. Excuse me. Um, then it's a short week to host the Jets. So, those are two home games. And then a third home game. Kind of three home games in a row is great right there. October 31st, November 4th on the short week, and then 10 days before you host Jacksonville. So you don't need to fly anywhere during that stretch. And also you get the 10-day break between that Thursday night game hosting the Jets and then your next game uh, taken on Jacksonville. So so I get you, you look, uh, try, to, try to take the positives. That's three home games in a row and a 10-day break between weeks 9 and 10. But uh, still, just to buy all the way down week 14 is, is just – it's going to be a long stretch of football, which fans will love because you keep seeing your Colts on the television. But uh, I'm sure the players will be, will be hankering for that time off when it finally does come around. Um, so that, that's the Colts' schedule. Um, lots to break down over the coming, uh, coming weeks and months. Lots of uh, ideas to have about what happens during this time. Uh, there is only one to be determined here, and that's the game against New England week 15. Um, that could be a Saturday game or a Sunday game. So it is possible, guys, that the Colts do get one home primetime game there with the Patriots if they play on uh, December 18th, that Saturday. Uh, that's not out of the realm of possibility. They do uh, get uh, another primetime game. But it kind of depends on how the Colts fare throughout the year and how the Patriots fare throughout the year, whether uh, that will materialize or not um so a challenging schedule we think even if the uh the numbers say it's uh one of the quote-unquote easier ones in the nfl um 
just because other teams like the Jets and the Jaguars especially will be, you think will be improved. So get through the first stretch and, uh, and see where the chips fall. One, um, one, 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 yeah. one, one, one other t- TBD is uh, crowd size. The, the, anticipa- yep. the anticipation is that they'll, they'll be full go. Jim Irsay mentioned that to us back in February or March that he anticipates a full stadium. We'll see. I think a few teams have already announced that's their plans. Uh, so, uh, and they've got single season or single, is it single game or is this season tickets are on sale now? So they're anticipating back to normal. I hate to, to jinx it. So that'll be really interesting because it was so weird, so weird going to that stadium last year and having, what was it, 10,000? Uh, eight to ten thousand people in the stands, whatever it was. So five, five or ten thousand. So hopefully we'll get back to having a raucous Lucas Oil. We can all hope for that. Let's take a look at the draft classes from the AFC South. We've talked plenty about the Colts draft class over the past couple of uh, weeks, but uh, their three main division rivals certainly uh, had something to say about those three days in uh, late April as well. Uh, We'll start with the Jacksonville Jaguars because it was the Jacksonville Jaguars who started off the draft. Unsurprisingly, took Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson, number one overall. Um, You you look at guys like uh, the the draft experts um, who who are the most famous, like a Mel Kuyper with ESPN, and he put Trevor Lawrence up there with the best quarterbacks he's ever scouted. Guys like John Elway and, and Andrew Luck, uh, saying that uh, Trevor Lawrence was kind of right up there, and Peyton Manning. Uh, he said that Lawrence was the fourth best quarterback that or got the fourth highest grade after those three uh, that, that he had ever scouted. So um, the Jaguars might finally, guys, have their quarterback of the future. Uh, obviously, the pessimist says, well, it's the Jaguars. They'll find a way to screw it up. But, uh, Mike, if, there, if there's anyone that they can't screw up, it, it, it might be Lawrence, especially with the, uh, the caliber that uh, a lot of teams and certainly a lot of scouts seem, seem to put him at. Yeah, this is not like Jacksonville is the only team that had Lawrence, the unquestioned number one. This is one where everybody would have taken him. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that they can screw this up. Urban Meyer uh, has had success in the past with, with good quarterbacks. And uh, it, it, the question is going to be is how soon do they reap the benefits of, of, of their quarterback. Keep in mind, Peyton Manning came to a pretty good offense, pretty good offense in 98, and they were 3-13. and 13. Because it just takes time. Lawrence is going to see things defensively that he's never imagined uh, in his football career. But uh, but at least he gives them hope and direction. And he's going to have Tim Tebow to throw it to line uh, as a Ooh. tight uh, as a tight end too. Somebody, <laughs> okay, let, yeah, somebody yeah. smarter smarter than me has to tell me how that makes any sense. And th- I'm not a, a Tebow hater. He's going to be 34. He's never played tight end. I, somebody said, well, he's going to sell tickets. Are you serious? Who's going to, I mean, that, that's ridiculous. So I, I don't understand unless they're trying to take some attention off of Trevor Lawrence. I don't get it. That does, like, and that's what I saw. Somebody tweeted that out. It might have been Darius Butler. I don't know if it was him, but um, I, I, actually, I don't think it was. Darius did have a really good take on Tebow, but, um, but I think it was someone else who said uh, that, yeah, maybe this was done just by Urban Meyer to take some attention off of his number one overall pick at quarterback. And that, that makes a little sense to me. 
um, let him grow, let him develop without the spotlight totally on him. But then again, you'd say how, how much of the spotlight really is on Jacksonville, even with the number one overall pick at quarterback. So um, it's, it's hard, you know, and I've been thinking about this too, Mike. Like, it's hard to get, to get attention consistently in the NFL. The Dallas Cowboys have done it over the years. But, I mean, the Patriots got no attention before Brady. Uh, and then they did, and, and now they're here. Like, the Colts got no real attention nationally before Manning. Then they got tons of it with Manning, and it's kind of died down over the years since. Like, it, it, you have to grab attention if you want attention. And I think it, 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 in some instances, if you're an owner of a team that no press is bad press, I think that, can, that, that argument can be made, and certainly I think Jerry Jones would tell you that, chief among them. But um, for... for that, that's mostly for the owner of the team, I think, that, that they like the press. Um, they, they like people talking about you because you kind of have it, – it's, it's hard to get a national outlet talking about you and get us, uh, I mean, even a local podcast talking about the Colts here in Indiana, but just focusing on one other team. Like you, you like to be in other people's mouths and on other people's minds around the, around the league. So I, I, I don't know if – just to – get press is is a good reason to make a to hire someone uh but but i I think that's in in a way that's probably what they're doing so i don't know i don't know well and again the the thing is it'll die down the the day he i don't think the the, is the signing official even i'm not even sure he's signed officially signed but but the the first day he's in everyone's around him and then the first days at practice everybody's around him and then when they cut him in august you know there'll be a t- it's just, I think the distraction thing is sort of hit and miss because right now right now his attention is a product of the media we're in now where it's it's sort of a quiet period so you latch on you know it's like ESPN every day leads off with Aaron Rodgers even though yeah. absolutely even if so even though absolutely nothing has changed but on the T-ball thing again I, I just don't understand the upside. And I think it, in the long run, it's going to be a blip that doesn't matter. I just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, also in the first round, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected the 25th overall. Travis Etienne, running back out of Clemson. Joe, we all know how much you hate running backs, so I'm sure you thought this was a terrible pick. I mean, I think you I did. Think I, 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 I mean, I say back, it tongue-in-cheek, but, but at the same time, I really don't yeah. think you liked it. I mean, they just – this was a team – who had a 1,000-yard, 10-touchdown rusher as an undrafted free agent last year. If any team should know that you don't need to take running backs high to get good production, it should be the Jaguars. And then they turn around and spend the 25th overall pick on ETN. I understand they want to use him as a pass-catching entity, um, kind of in an Alvin Kamara role, and get him the ball in space and let him go. But... It, it Maybe the Clemson connection that you wanted to get someone Lawrence was familiar with, but this was kind of a puzzling one for me. Not the player, he's an excellent player, um, but just Jacksonville team. I thought there was a lot of other areas that they could go in the first round, um, but they went for the playmaker in ETN. In the second round, they got a cornerback uh, out of Georgia, Tyson Campbell, and a tackle out of Stanford, Walker Little. And we talked a little bit about Walker on, on this show, guys. And uh, he, he sat out last year, took the year off due to the pandemic. Um, and if he hadn't, maybe he would have had some first-round consideration. I think that he was, he was really good two years ago. Um, so that could be, that could be a steal yeah. for them in the second round. 
Joe, yeah, he hasn't you played something? since yeah. uh, he hasn't played since 2018 because he was hurt all 20. So it's been two years since the guy has played, but he has a lot of tools. He's a question mark. Uh, Campbell's a question mark. Just where they picked him, there's a lot of other good corners on the board. Um, so he he was a bit of a question mark going that high. Um, so after Lawrence, I have some questions about this draft. It's almost boom or bust with a lot of these picks, but Lawrence might be so good that the rest doesn't matter. Well, you get Andre Sisco, a safety out of Syracuse in the third round, and that, that just means a winner right there, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and, winner. I know what you think of him. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, so that's at least the top of the Jaguars board. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine picks, and obviously a good number when you're trying to kind of rebuild a little bit. As Chris Ballard said, just the, the more chances you get, the more chances you have to hit, and you require a little bit of luck. Uh, the Titans had a good number of picks, too. Uh, they had eight, it looks like, here. A couple players that we talked about, Caleb Farley, a cornerback out of Virginia Tech, uh, fell to them at 22 overall, right behind the Colts selection at 21 with Quiddy Pay. Uh, Caleb Farley, when he was on the field, great, but uh, he, he certainly had some injury concerns uh, Excuse me, while playing for the Hokies. And then uh, round two at 53 overall, right before the Colts selected, uh, took Dayton, Dylan Radens, uh, the tackle out of North Dakota State. Uh, so, uh, Joe, a couple guys that, that we're a little bit familiar with from, from this podcast. What do you think about the top of the Titans draft? Uh, it's boomer bust again. If Caleb Farley hits, <laughs> he's the steal of the draft. I mean, he has top cornerback in the league potential. That's how talented he is. But injuries are, are a big concern. And this is a third year in a row now we've seen the Titans take a risk with their first round pick. I think a Three years ago, it was uh, uh, Simmons coming off the ACL. They took, I think, 18th overall. And then last year, we've already talked about Isaiah Wilson. He's not in, even in the NFL anymore, just one year later. And then they take another risk on Farley, who's had multiple back uh, procedures or surgeries, whatever you want to call them now. So it, it's another boomer busk strategy from the Titans. And then the Houston Texans, only uh, five selections in this draft, and they didn't pick to the third round. Uh, that was quarterback Davis Mills out of Stanford. Um, you see Nico Collins, Brevin Jordan, uh, so a couple pass catchers for whoever's going to throw the ball out there. But, uh, Mike, when you're a team that has as many holes as the, tight, uh, the Texans rather clearly had last year, having only five picks in the draft is certainly not ideal, and not picking to the third round is even less than ideal. Yeah, and, and, and the overriding issue is who's your quarterback, like you mentioned. Right. Uh, I mean, we don't know. I like to see Vegas odds on whether Deshaun Watson plays. You know, maybe not just in September, but plays. So uh, he's sort of fallen off the radar as far as being in the news. But but uh, it's 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 crazy to see how the Texans. How long has it was it just been two years ago when they had Kansas City down twenty four to nothing? Yep. In the first half, I mean, I mean, it's incredible. And Patrick how, Mahomes how, broke them. <laughs> That's right. So it's it appears that the the changing of the guard at the bottom is from Jacksonville to Houston because until until they get their quarterback situation figured out, they're a mess. And it didn't, you know. It's funny, Davis Mills. Is he your backup? Who's their starting quarterback down there now? It's not Tyrod Taylor. Taylor. Okay, Ty, which is the last quarterback the Colts beat on opening day. Yeah. So, so uh, it, it's kind of crazy, and and there's so much building to do down there uh, that it's it's. I'd say it's going to be fun to watch, but it's not going to be fun to watch. 
Joe, I'd imagine from from what you had to say about the Titans and Jaguars being real boom or bust, you think probably the Colts had the draft that um, that could have improved the team the most. Am I right or wrong saying that from the AFC South, of course? Uh, I'd have to go with the Jaguars just because they took okay. the quarterback. And, I mean, the Colts okay. draft is pretty boom or bust, too. Um, yeah. When you talk about second round, pass rusher Achilles injury, um, I do like Quiddy Pay a lot. But all of these drafts kind of – I don't like the Texans draft. I mean, what are the chances a third-round quarterback is going to work out for you? You have so many holes on this team. A third-round pick can be a starter somewhere. And you take a, what, one in a thousand chance that Davis Mills ends up being something for you. Um, and then they trade up to go get Nico Collins when they were already limited on draft picks. I like Collins. Uh, Brevin Jordan's a tight end who can do something. So I like those two picks for them, but overall the Texans was over a little underwhelming and surprising with their first pick. Um, with the Titans, my favorite pick of theirs was in the fourth round, or third round actually, with Elijah Molden, 100 overall. He's a guy a lot of people thought could go in the uh, second round, high second round, so he fills in as kind of that slot corner slash safety. He can kind of fill that role from um, Kenny Vaccaro, I believe he moved on in the offseason, so... Um, really, I don't look at any of these drafts except for the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence and go, wow, this team got so much better immediately. Um, a lot of these players are going to take some time. You know, you look at the Titans, Dylan Radins has a lot of talent, but coming from North Dakota State, he might take time before he's ready to start. We kind of talked about him not being ready right away if the Colts opted to draft him, so... If I had to pick a favorite draft from the AFC South, or at least from this these three, I'll have to go with the Jaguars. Um, but, I mean, we'll see about all of them. What else can you say about the draft? We'll see. We could be a year from now going, man, the Titans knocked it out of the park. Or a year from now we could be going, man, this is the second year in the row the Titans got nothing out of their first-round pick. Yeah, it's uh, it's not every year that uh, you're like the Colts last year, and you take a first round pick, you spend it on a DeForest Buckner, bring in a proven commodity, and you're like, oh, this this is so that technically part of the draft that that's that's a win win. So, um, a, a lot of questions, obviously, when it comes to this. So I I I do like your um your 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 analysis there though. Just if the Jaguars have their quarterback, they have to be better, you know. And if there's any one quarterback that uh, that would kind of put them over over the hump, sort of. You'd think Lawrence might be that guy, so um, we'll see if Lawrence can uh, is is indeed strong strong enough to uh, to get the Jaguars over that hump um, and become any sort of a consistent challenge in the future. Another team that just three or four years ago, Mike, was a, a third down stop away, like the uh, the Texans were. 20, up 24-0 on the Chiefs. The the Jaguars were a third down stop away from going to the Super Bowl over the Patriots in 2018, I believe. So with Blake Bortles, exactly with Blake Bortles, uh, would, would new, have played new the Eagles. Packer. <laughs> yeah, new Packer Blake Bortles going to be the starter since uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to go and, and play Jeopardy for the rest of his uh, rest of his life. So that, that's not breaking news. That that that's me being an idiot. So 
anyway, we do thank you so much for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. That's going to wrap us up for the week. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to get updated with news and notes throughout the week between our podcast sessions. Uh, you can follow me at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chapel is at M Chapel 51 and Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. Once again, we appreciate you listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Subscribe to get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week when it drops and we will see you next time.